Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen. Church, let me ask you a question. What would you do for a million dollars? What would you do for a million? Now, now think about it, okay? Don't, I mean, some of you are like, man, I'd like to have a hundred dollars. You're talking a million? Well, think about it, okay? What would you do? What would you literally do if given the chance to receive one million dollars? One million. Okay, okay, so let, let's do this. For, for the sake of our study, let me ask you some silly questions, and then I want to respond to what people will actually do for us. So I'm going to ask you, okay? You can, you can shake your head yes or no, but this is a million bucks, okay? Number one, here, would you do this? What would you do? Would you paint your whole body green for a million dollars? Would you paint your whole... <laughs> thumbs up. You're like, I w- you would do that. You'd paint your whole body green for a million bucks. Okay, good. Josh says, yeah, okay, okay. Number two, would you walk into your local grocery store wearing only your underwear for a million bucks? <laughs> Just your, there's not so much? No, what? Okay, all right. So some of you would. Please don't. <laughs> and sunglasses. Okay, so so everybody's in here like, I'll paint my body green. I'll... Uh, some of us would walk into United just with our underwear, as long as it's okay. So let's move on. Number three, would you walk into a cage with, star- with a starving lion for five minutes for a million bucks? Anybody? Give me the thumbs up or no. Huh? No, you just you. Just a, the, oh, it's a hungry lion. Okay, so everybody in here is like, mm, no, but not, not if I get, have a chance of getting my face eaten off, no. Number four, would you ride in a car across the country with a drunk person driving for a million bucks? No? Nobody? No, that, that's out. That's out. Okay, okay. <laughs> How about this one? How about this one? You ready? Would you shave a hairy man's back who hasn't showered in a year? Say, been there, done that, but who said yes? Anybody? You would? You you would, hasn't showered. There you go. We have two. Anybody? Anybody? Listen, now, guys, those are silly. Those are really silly. Like, some stuff we would do. But listen, there was a poll taken several years ago. And two-thirds of Americans polled that they, would, they agreed at least that one of these things, they, they, they would agree to one of these things I'm going to mention. This is what, I mean, this is for like a million bucks. And I was just quite astonished. Listen, for $1 million, 25% of those polled, 25, said they would abandon their entire family. 25%. Let's say, let's say it was 100 people. 25 of them said, Psh, peace. I was like, Wow. 25% of them said they would abandon their church. Ouch. Well, it hurts the pastor a little bit, you know? Pastor, I love you. I get that all the time. Pastor, I love you. 20, a million. I'm out. I love you, but, yeah. 
23% of those people polled said they would become a prostitute for a month for a million bucks. 22% said for a million bucks, they would give up their citizenship to the United States of America. A million, I mean, I don't know. 16, check this out, 16% said they would leave their spouses. All right, bye, Felicia. All right, they're out the door. 16% for a million bucks. 10% said this, they would withhold testimony to let a murderer go free. 10%. 10 people's like, I didn't see nothing. 7% said for a million bucks, they would actually kill a stranger. 7%. And this is just sad. 3% out of those polled said they would put their children up for adoption. Depends how old your children are, but yeah, I mean... (laughs) But that's sad, isn't it? 3% said, for a million dollars, I I would do this. And I thought, this is really messed up. America, what's going on? But here's the real question, guys. Tonight, what, what would you value? What do you value the most? What do you value the most? You see, remember what God's word said. See, money is not evil. Money is neutral. The Bible tells us that it's the what? The love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of the money. We all need money to live, and so it's okay to go, listen, I get my paycheck, I spend it, I do what I need to do, we buy groceries, we pay the bills, and so forth and so forth, right? So nobody's saying don't have money. But what, what, what the problem is is that you can tell by the, by the Americans that they polled that the relationship to that money is what values their heart. That's what their value is. I was just like, I was really, 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 really tripping. And so when we come to the end of chapter 25, we discover that there are a few key principles, guys, from Scripture that we can actually apply. In order for you to follow, let's go back and remind you what we learned last week. Okay, let's go back just a little bit. Now, remember... First and foremost, the outline of this amazing book, okay? We're moving quite fast through the story. The very first thing we learned was the creation story. We saw that. It was just incredible. That was Genesis 1 to to chapter 2. All of creation, the story, his creation. And remember this, you have to believe verse 1. If you believe verse 1, the rest of the Bible is easy. What's verse 1? In the beginning... Elohim, God, created the heavens of the earth. If you really believe that in your heart, that's gospel, isn't it? Because you're showing your faith and trust in a God that you can't see. But you know he's there because you see his creation. You're okay. So that's, that's the first one. The second one we saw is Adam and Eve's story. We saw that. And then it moved into Noah's story. Okay, that was 6 to 11. And then we hung out, guys, for the fast, past few weeks with Abraham. We learned all about Abraham. We learned that Abraham was just as human as you and I. He made mistakes, right? He looked at his beautiful wife and he says, they're going to kill me. Tell them you're my sister. And I mean, oh boy, it created a mess. And not only did he do it once, he did it twice. 
And so again, I liked Abraham, right? Because he's father Abraham. He's the father of the faith. I mean, he's like, he's a spiritual giant, but he's human just like us. And so when I make mistakes, I go, oh, okay. And then we're going to see, guys, that it's now going to transition into Isaac's story. Abraham had a son. The son of promise was Isaac. And we're only going to spend just a few chapters. This is actually from today to, to chapter 28. We're going to talk about Isaac just a little bit. And then it goes from Isaac to Jacob's story, okay? Chapter 28 all the way to 36. So we're going to hang out a lot with Jacob. So get to know him tonight. And then we'll hang out with Joseph. And Joseph goes from chapter 37 to chapter 50. There's 50 verses. We are halfway there. We are halfway there. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights and you've been faithful, you, have, you know half of the book of Genesis. So last week, we said goodbye to Abraham. Abraham died at a ripe old age of 175. And he was buried with his wife. Now, the story changes to Isaac. And like Abraham's story, from now it's going to go back and forth. Like, we're going to talk a little bit, and then he's going to go to Isaac and And last week, guys, we noticed that Isaac has been married for quite some time. Do you remember that he was praying for how long? 20 years for kids. He was praying for 20 years, guys. And remember, this was so important. And this is, this is so important. Why? Because here's what I want you, here's what I want to impart on you. Here's the thing. Listen, this is key. Why? Because it was, it was in God's exact time. Hello? You go, what do you mean? It was 20 years later, but it was the perfect time when God granted that request. 20 years later. And you go, Ben, why is this important? Here's why. Listen, because when you and I pray and we don't get an instant answer, we automatically assume God is mad at us or he's abandoned us or he, let's be honest, is just being selfish not to give us what we just asked for. Did you pray about it? Oh, I prayed about it, Pastor. I prayed, I prayed. How long did you pray? I prayed for five minutes and I didn't get an answer. But, but even more than that, it's, it's not five minutes. Let's say we pray for five days. Let's say we pray for five months. We're praying, we're praying. What are you guys? We're praying, we're just praying. God will answer in his perfect time. For, for Isaac, it was 20 years. Are we going to question God? I mean, listen, how many of us would be like year 10? I've been praying. I don't think God hears. Uh, uh, Haas, I don't think God has ears because I've been praying for 15 years and I'm not getting in. He prayed for 20, but it's timing. It's timing, guys. And so sometimes when the servant moved and he was praying for a bride for Isaac, it was, boy, before he even finished his prayer, God's answering it. Can I get an Amen. And sometimes it's 20 years, and sometimes it's five days, and sometimes it's five months, and sometimes it's two years. You guys get my point? It's, it's when God wants to do it. Here's my problem. I don't know if it's your problem. This is my problem, okay? I get impatient. I get impatient. I see it the way I see it. And God, you should see it the way I see it, and you should move the way I wanted you to move, and do it yesterday. Amen? Because I have all these things, right? We should, and, 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 and here's the thing. Listen, it's all in his timing, and what we need to do 
is we need to learn to trust God in all things. We need to learn to trust God in all things. Trust is a very hard thing to do because that means you have to wait. I'm trying not to move. What happens in God's waiting room, guys? What happens? Oftentimes you feel so abandoned, don't you? I'm waiting. Ah! And David, guys, if you read the Psalms, David is like, God, you abandoned me. My enemies are going to kill me. He doesn't, I mean, man, who can relate to Dave? We all can, right? It was like David is just crying out. And then the next he's like, God, you're awesome. You're wonderful. And I feel like that's a lot of life for us. We learned that we need to trust God in all things, guys. We need to trust him. His timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Whether you're looking for a house, his timing is perfect. Can I get an amen? If you're looking for a spouse, his timing is perfect. If you're looking for a college or you're waiting for a job, God's got this. Well, what did Isaac do? Isaac, the Bible says in verse 21 that Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah conceived. Guys, that word pleaded, you guys know this. The word pleaded there means to burn incense in worship, to intercede. Men, 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 listen to me. You should be praying for your wives. You should be interceding for your wife. Not that she will conceive, I mean, that's, but for, for her walk with God. I'm doing a book study right now with a good friend, and, and uh, it's, it's a discipline, and it says this. It says this, men, listen. Is your wife closer to God because of you or in spite of you? That, see, see, you got to see the heart of Isaac here. You got to see the heart of Isaac. Isaac says, listen, I love my wife. I'm going to plead. I'm going to beg God. I'm going to worship God. She's barren, and that breaks her heart. Men, do we know our wives that well? Do we know our wives that well, that we know what breaks her heart? Do we know what makes her cry? Are we crying out to the Lord? Well, he did this for over 20 years because in, in verse 26, it says, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So 20 years, he was pleading, he was in worship, he was interceding. Guys, I'll never forget how this rang true for me. You see, I wasn't always called to be a pastor. I thought God wanted me to go into business, and so I was doing everything I can for business. And see, my definition of love, and I don't know where I got it, and I don't know how it got distorted, but my definition of love was, love was give Nathalie and my girls everything they could ever imagine. New cars, new homes, clothes, whatever it is. That was my definition. So if I went to work, I was saying, I love you because you get to eat all, anything. I mean, you everything. It was a distorted. And I remember when my wife looked at me early on, and she goes, I don't want the stuff, I want you. And I was like, that's foreign. Why would you want me? 
That's not love. Love is being able to drive a new car and have gas and right? And I remember that. And unbeknownst to me, Nathalie began to pray for me. She, I'd go to sleep and she'd put her hand on my back and she would pray. She wouldn't pray that I became a pastor because she's like, I'm not a pastor's wife. Are you kidding me? But she prayed, guys. She prayed, she prayed, she prayed that I would be the man that God had called me to be. That I would not sacrifice my family on the altar of work. She prayed and she didn't give up. And again, guys, whether it's one year, eight years that Nathalie prayed, she prayed. Honestly, you know, she's praying, God. Now, I bet my wife fully expected for me to wake up and be like, well, I had a strange dream. I'm godly now. I'm going to go into the ministry. Hallelujah. No, it took, it took years. Because God is still working. Don't do that. Well, in verse 22, we learned that the children struggled, Okay. They struggled within her. And she said, hmm, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, you remember what inquire means, right? And I think that's something, guys, that's a good move, right? When something's not right, God will put that in your spirit, and you have to go, something's not right. Something's not right. There's a red flag, and we inquire of the Lord, right? Go to the Lord, Here's our problem. Now listen, listen. I know that the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. So I think you should get counsel from spiritual godly people. Can I get an amen? Okay, so you should. But we got to be careful because we tend to get counsel from people and we get the wrong counsel. You know, um, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry I'm going to go ask my friend Adam. And Adam goes, yeah, dude, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, Adam, you're right. I, 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 that was just weird. And, I, and I, I'm getting the wrong counsel when I should be, what, inquiring of the Lord. God, this is what you've put in my heart. This is what you put in my heart. Be careful with counselors because, because sometimes, guys, they're, they're, God hasn't spoken to you. And people are saying, well, God said this for you. Well, God hasn't told me that. We've got to be so careful because sometimes God's voice sounds a lot like my voice sometimes. I'm like, God, is that you or is that me? And sometimes I'm just thinking it and it's not God at all. So we have to be careful. Inquire. You go, Ben, why are you beating it? Because I want you to go to the Lord. I want you to go to the Lord. Listen, I, I love, guys, come to me. I, I will share whatever I can share. But listen, listen, I will never satisfy you, not one bit as your pastor. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Your marriage is in trouble? Go to the Lord. God, what's going on? Work it out together. Work it out together. Now, this scripture that I just read, guys, that the children struggled within her, this is key for tonight's text. Okay? Because why? Look at verse 23. It says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your wombs. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This is God's promise. Okay, so she inquires of the Lord, and here's what she finds out. There's two nations. This is happening. There's some struggle. 
Right, Tiffany? Have you felt the baby move? Can you imagine if you had two in there and they were going to blows with each other? Wow. You should be like, um, you know what? I cannot sleep because Hezekiah and Nehemiah are going at it. <laughs> I'm just making up names. Wait, they already have a name. But that's what she says. And God answers and says, hey, man, hey, listen, there's two nations. And they're gonna... now this is key. Why is this key? Why do I bring this up? You'll see in just a minute, okay? So Rebecca finally gave birth to both. You guys remember that last week? The first boy out of the womb was a fella named Esau, okay? What was Esau like? He was a hairy garment all over. That's all I know it was, right? And he was so hairy, it was red. They called his name Esau, which means hairy. You go, so, so you go, so what happened? Well, here's what, I can, here's what I can concur from the scripture. Either she gave birth to a red rug, a small animal, or cousin it from the Adams family. I mean, that's really, I mean, that's how <laughs> I can imagine, right? I could not imagine. But either way, Isa is born, not to be outdone, his brother Jacob comes holding his heel. He's like, uh-uh, brother, get back here. He's trying to pull him back into the womb, right? They're fighting. They're fighting. Now, the Bible doesn't say, okay? But I bet there were sibling rivalry continued throughout their childhood. They're twins, and they're going to be fighting. At two years old, they're fighting. At four years old, they're fighting. We know what it's like to fight with our brothers or have a rival with our brothers. And so we love our brothers and sisters, but there's always that fight, okay? We just do. Or our sisters. But I know that this is what was going on. They were constantly wrestling. They were constantly fighting. They were try- constantly trying to do each other, hoping to be the favorite twin. Well, the boys grow up, and the Word of God shares a story concerning the birthright. What would you do for a cup of stew? So let's look at verse 27. Guys, we're going to read it 27 to 34 together. And then we'll come back and we'll break it down, okay? Genesis, it says, So the boys grew, in verse 27, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field and was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please, Feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob and Esau, right, Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate, and he drank, and arose, and he went his way. Thus, it says, Esau despised his birthright, okay? That's the story. Now, let's unpack it, okay? We have some godly principles that we can learn from. So the first thing, notice with me. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Let's talk about Esau for just a moment, okay? Very important. The Word of God says that Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. In other words, you can jot down, Esau was a man's man. Okay, he was hairy, he was rugged, he liked being out there, okay, he loved to hunt, he liked to be out in the wilderness, he liked to smell like, well, you know, what men smell like, right, out in the wilderness. That's Esau. 
The problem we have with this, guys, if you're taking note, is the description of Esau only links him to another hunter who was not so godly. You go, who is that? If you recall back in chapter 10, we met a man by the name of Nimrod. Okay, Nimrod in Genesis 10, 9 says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, he said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. You go, well, what, was, what was the problem with Nimrod? Well, the Hebrew and Christian tradition believed that Nimrod considered, was considered one of the leaders that actually built the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar. So he was a mighty hunter, and the Bible never actually states this, but Nimrod's kingdom included the cities of Babel, Erech, Akdad, and perhaps uh, Kalnith there in Shinar. Okay? But his name is interesting because his name means Nimrod. And if you're taking note, it actually means rebellion. They named their kid Rebellion. I think you're setting him up for what you're going to name him. What's his name? Rebellion. He's so rebellious. You think? That's what you named him, right? Well, that's what Nimrod is. He was a mighty hunter. He was rebellious. He was an ungodly man. And Esau, guys, is linked to this guy. And the Bible actually doesn't paint a good picture of Esau as well. You know, what do you mean? Guys, jot this down. I'll read it, but write this down in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, 16 and 17 says this. It says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright for the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Esau, the Bible says, guys, was godless and immoral. Now, we don't know right now because he's not really out physically immoral, but spiritually, he doesn't care about spiritual things. He's spiritually, he's spiritually immoral right now. He's godless. Now, let me jot your mind. Let me just jot. Let me, let me, let me just, let me just plant something in your hearts for just a moment. Okay. Think about what the Bible just said. You know, afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was directed. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. What does that paint a picture of? Guys, I think of so many people after the rapture. I think of so many people. Who have died. Who were godless. Moral. And now they're begging for it's too late. It's too late. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Guys, the point is, is that listen, listen. How precious is one soul? And you, my friends, are the Bible that a lot of people read. And they don't expect you to be perfect, but they expect you to live what you believe and not compromise. And they're standing back and they're watching. And when something goes wrong, they're watching do you get angry? Do you get upset? Do you throw stuff? Are you breaking things? Are you cussing? See, we need to live what we believe, guys. We need to be 
super great salespeople because we believe in the product that we're selling. Okay, if, that's the first thing in sales, right? If you don't believe in the product, you're never going to sell it. But if you believe in it with all your heart and you put your faith and trust in the Word of God, you, you, you know it's in your life. You know it's in your life. But Esau, what is he? He's a man's man, but he's a godless man. But Jacob, he wasn't a man of the field, was he? He loved to stay in tents. The Bible says he was a mild man. You know, that means wholeness. In other words, he was a mama's boy staying at home, learning to cook. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Jacob was cultured. He was amenable. But here's the problem, okay? He has a deceptive streak in him. He was already a supplanter. He was already a heel catcher, okay? So you got a godless man who's a man's man, right? He's out there hunting. He's killing. He's he's hunting. He's He's living in the wilderness. He's sleeping in tents, whatever it might be. But Jacob is at home, and he's clean, and he's learning to cook, and he knows how to bake, and he's very mild, but he's got the same heart. You go, Pastor, what are you talking about? Guys, listen, when it comes to Esau, what you see is what you get. That's Esau. Oh, I hate you. Okay, well, that's Esau. A godless man who loves to hunt. With Jacob, you see a mild man who's cultured, and we would think, oh, there's, not, there's nothing about him that's deceitful. He's, he, there's no deceit in him. Listen. We are all born with the same heart. It needs Jesus to come in and change it. Guys, we can put on a good show. We can play the part. But deep in our heart, we're the same as everybody else. Guys, listen, listen. Masks. And other things can be deceiving, right? So we can put on a good show. I saw this. I saw this the other day at my house. Okay, the other day, Nathalie had got some. What are they? Juju apples. What are they? Juju apples. Jujubes. Anybody know what that is? I don't either. But they're jujubes. They're like little apples, like this. Okay, but she had them wrapped up in a Sonic bag. Talia comes in, and she said, what? She went beeline to the Sonic bag, thinking maybe there were some fries or tater tots in there. And she goes, hey, oh, I was ripped off. This is not cool. Why? Because what she thought was a great, it was Sonic. And then they were not Sonic. They were Jujubes. Isn't that a funny story? But isn't that how Christians are too? Christians can dress up like the Sonic bag and say, man, I've got all kinds of good stuff. Man, I've got double cheeseburgers with everything in it. Man, I've got fries. I'm making y'all hungry. I know. Stop. Man. But inside, I... That's, that's Jacob. You guys see that? That's Jacob. See, Jacob... Listen to me, guys. Jacob was, was putting on the mask of righteousness while all the while scheming, 
deceiving, and manipulating. You go, Pastor, what is your point? Here it is. Only Jesus can transform a heart. Did you hear me? At best, you and I, we can conform our hearts to what we want others to see or notice. Hi, how are you? God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep. Amen. Oh, sister, I like those shoes. They're wonderful. Brother, you're, you're looking good, gaining muscles. You, you see? You see how we, we, again, think about it. We can, we can conform, right? Now, now, guys don't talk like that, trust me. We don't even notice stuff like that, right? Women are like, oh, I like your shoes, I like your hat, I like your this, I like your that. But true transformation comes, let me say this again, true transformation comes when we become real with God and allow him to do the work that only he can do. You guys tracking with me? We have to be real with God. We have to be. We have to come to the place and go, okay, God. Now, here's the problem. The reason why a lot of people are putting on masks is because the work that has to be done, it hurts. You don't want God poking around in the place that hurts. That hurt. Oh, that hurts, Lord. Lord, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Ow, 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 But he's the only one that can do it because, because in his touch, not only does it hurt, but it's healing at the same time. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you're not real, when you're not real, right? When you go to the doctor, how many, I mean, we know this, right? We know this. People go to the doctor. Go to go to the doctor. Tell them what's wrong. I'm not going to tell them what's wrong. What hurts? Nothing hurts. I mean, stubborn men. Nothing hurts. I'm fine. Well, you came in here bent over. What's the problem? We have to tell the doctor everything that's wrong so they can make a proper diagnosis to give us what we need. But we're afraid to do that with God? Hey, Lord, I'm a mess. I stinketh. I'm a mess. I don't even know if my Christianity, Lord, I just, I need you to be real. I need you to heal those parts that only you can heal, Lord. Because I haven't even shared that with my wife. I haven't shared that with my husband. I haven't, I haven't shared this with anyone, Lord. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's keeping me from you, God. Do that work. Transform my heart. And he'll come in very gently and he'll begin. Well, back in our study, notice in verse 28, it says, And Isaac loved, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob, right? Here, you guys ready for another principle? You ready? What can we learn from this? Favoritism. Favoritism. Okay? See, the boys... They've been fighting since the womb. But the parents didn't have to continue it. The call is coming from inside the house. You know what I'm talking about? 
The call, I mean, this is, this is, this is exact. I mean, think about it, guys. The Bible clearly states that Isaac loved Esau because he loved that he was a man's man. He loved that he was a skillful hunter. He loved, mm, that's my boy. My boy's coming. I can smell a man. He's been out in the wilderness. What you got? And he comes in with some wild game and he's sitting there and he's eating steak and filet mignon and all of that good stuff. And Isaac's like, yeah, that's my boy. My boy. I don't know why we didn't name him Isaac Jr. It's my boy. Well, that's because he was a rug. I mean, this is why. But it says Rebecca loved Jacob, and she loved that he stayed home, and he baked with her, and he cooked, and he cleaned, and he was right there by Mama. If they were little, I'm pretty sure Esau was outside all the time, and Jacob was like, no, I don't want to get dirty. That's Okay. Nothing wrong with it except the heart. Why? Well, here's the problem, guys. Let's, let's, let's go back. To Isaac and Rebecca are playing favorites with their kids. And this doesn't help the family unit. It actually breaks it down. You guys know this. The th- one thing we know about God is he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't play favorites. As much as we like to say at times, boy, I'm God's favorite today. I'm God's favorite today. That's not true at all. Okay? We are all the same to Him. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 2, verse 11 in the complete Jewish Bible says this, for God does not show favoritism. Now, there might be a blessing somewhere else, and it looks like, man, God is really, He really loves them, and look at us. It's God is blessing, and we need to be rejoicing for that, right? Deuteronomy chapter 10 and 17 says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, Lord of lords, great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, favoritism, nor takes a bribe. That's what the Word of God says. So all of you who are sitting here going, I'm God's favorite? No, you're not. You're not God's favorite. I'm not God's favorite. He doesn't have favorites. But we do. We do. And it causes a mess. Think about this. Esau and Jacob, guys, they're having a tough time navigating through life. They're having a tough time. And they didn't need their parents showing up and showing favoritism. They didn't need that help. Well, let's talk about us. How often do we do that with our kids? We show favor to one and not the other. Listen, it doesn't mean that you don't love your kids equally. But people often show favor to one over the other. Guys, here are some results, real quick, of of playing favorites with our kids. Now, I know none of you do this, but if we do, here's what happens. Guys, there's there's tons of dissatisfaction. Okay? Right? And, and, and you'll notice this more in chapter 27 when Esau starts to go for the blessing. He's like, man, okay? That's the first thing that happens. There's, there's no satisfaction in the family. Number two, there's separation from the family. As they get older, they want to leave. Number three, there's division within the family. Why? Because Isaac and Rebekah have a divided home. we got to be so careful. Now, listen, this can happen. I mean, we favor anyone. 
This could happen anytime. You go, Pastor, what do you mean? Guys, I have seen, I have seen funerals where the family just goes to blows because there were favorites in that family. And the younger got this amount of money, and the older didn't get that amount of money, and they, whoo. I've seen it, guys. Now, I haven't lived it, because i got to be honest with you. I grew up in a house. I'm the baby of the family, okay? I'm the baby. I wanted the favoritism. I wanted the blessings. And my dad said, nope. We're dividing everything three ways. If, if he gave one, he gave us all. There were no favorites. We grew up that way. When my dad passed away, me and my two brothers sat there and we divided it equally. One, one, one. One, one, one. My brother, they're twins. They're like Jacob and Esau. One's a little bit older by, by a few minutes, but we're all the same. We're all the same. Everything was divided equally. That's not the case on all situations. But let me say this too, okay? You go, Ben, Ben, we don't favor our kids. We love them the same. But I've seen this too. I've seen where wives favor their kids over their husband. Oh, come here, mijo lindo, precioso, come here. And they... And they put their husband out. Or the other way around. Guys, the husband, right? Or vice versa. We love our kids. We love our kids. But if you don't invest in your marriage, your kids are going to grow up. They're going to leave you because they're supposed to. And you're going to look at your spouse and go, uh, I don't know you. What happened? You spent all your time investing in your kids and you didn't put any you didn't put any deposits in your love bank and now you're overdrawn. You have anything. Kids are great. Kids are great. Don't favor them over your marriage, your husband, anything else. We see that. So what happens? Well, Verse 29, you guys with me? Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came from the field, and he was weary. Now I want you to do something very interesting, okay? I want you to circle that word for cooked, because you and I would look at it and go, well, he's cooking stew. Hello, that's what he did. No, no, no. When you look it up in the Hebrew, guys, it's actually translated, one who sets a trap. One who sets a trap. Listen, Jacob, Jacobo, knew exactly what to do and when to do it. He wasn't randomly cooking stew. He said, wait a minute, my brother's been gone. I know he's gone this long, and I know when he goes out in the field, he doesn't eat, and I know he comes back hungry. Or like we like to say, hangry. I know what I'll do. I'll set a trap. He's in the, that's, that's what the word means. So much so, listen, when Esau comes into the camp, he's coming, he can smell the stew. Oh, 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 wow, that smells great. Oh. Hmm, I wonder how Jacob knew that Esau would come home. 
Well, he sets a trap for his brother. He know he knew he would be tired. He knew he would be hangry. Here's our problem. You ready? God had already promised the older would serve the younger. God said that. Only Jacob, what's he doing, church? He's trying to take matters into his own hands. God, you're not, you're not working on my timeline. It's time for me to take matters into my own hands. What happens? Verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. He comes in, he's like, man, I'm star- right? I'm starving to death. Really, Esau, you're starving to death? You're going to die like in two seconds? But that's how we are. When we walk, help me, church. Oh, this is so good. When we walk in the flesh. Therefore, his name was called Edom. That's where we get the Edomites. The Edomites are outside of the promised land, though. So what is it? Well, it's stew. It's red lentil stew. Isn't that appropriate, right? He comes in, it's like, man, give me some of that stew. It's red, huh? Esau comes in. He says, I'm starving. Please give me some food. I'm starving to death. Notice what Jacob says. Notice, Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. That's not what a Christian's supposed to do. Jacob, guys, he's deceiving, he's deceitful, he's trying to get something, and he's saying, sell me your birthright. And so Esau says, Esau says, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? He's like, I don't even care if, I, if I'm dead, what does it mean? So Jacob says, hey, bro, swear to me as of this day. So Esau swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate, he drank, arose, he went his way. Thus, it says, Esau despised the birthright. Okay, so here Jacob sets a trap. I will give you some food. Sell me your birthright. Swear to me as of this day. You go, well, what's the importance of the birthright? First and foremost, guys, if you're taking note, it's spiritual. But on a practical sense, this birthright was given to the oldest son, and it meant when dad died, the oldest son would get a double portion. But he would also take over as head of the household as precedence over his brothers in making the decision. So it was a big deal. That's the birth. Okay, they would look to the son. All right, you're the birthright. You're the oldest. What do we do now? The problem is, is that your birthright, according to the Bible, it could be forfeited by a couple of things. You go, what's that? Number one, committing a serious sin. A serious sin. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now the sons of Reuben, do you guys remember Reuben? The firstborn of Israel. He was indeed the firstborn because he had defiled his father's bed. His birthright was given to the sons of Joseph the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Remember what happened to Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn, and he went in, and he defiled his father's bed. That was a serious sin. God says, nope. It could be bartered, as in this instance, right? But it had to be formalized by an oath. That's why he said, okay, it's not enough for you to tell me, swear to me this day. 
And so Jacob, and so Esau's like, I swear, I swear, uh, here's, here's a birthright, I'm starving. You go, Ben, what was the point? Here it is, ready? Esau's not interested in spiritual things. He says, I don't care. Give me the food. I'm about to die. It was a costly cup of stew. Now think about this. Think about this. He sold his birthright for a momentary fleshly gratification. Let me say that again. A momentary fleshly gratification. Sold it. Now, go back to the beginning when we said, what would you do for a million bucks, right? Kind of like those who would give everything away for money because money really is what? Momentary, fleshly gratification. You know, Ben, Ben, hold up, dude. I could take a million dollars and I could invest it and I could make $10 million. Yes, but you're going to live 70, 80, 90 years and then what? Somebody else is going to get your $10 million because you can't take it with you. Yeah, but I can live the good life now. That's exactly what Esau said. All I have is now. But the Christian should be investing in the future. Sending your gifts ahead. Investing in the gospel. How do we get the message out? How do we tell people? How do we love people? It's just money. It's just money. It comes, it goes. Give it away. Invest in the gospel. Jacob's actions, guys, no doubt, are carnal and inadequate. No doubt. But his desire for the birthright was evidenced faith, isn't it? He's like, I want that. I know what that means. I know what that means. Jacob gets off the table. I mean, Esau gets off the table, full, and he goes on. He's done. It says that he despised his birthright. Now, let's close. Let's close our study right here. So much to learn. Why? Because when we look at two characters, we look at Jacob and we look at Esau. You guys with me? It seems to me, listen, it seems to me like without Jesus, we could be either or. or. We could both, we could be Esau or we could be Jacob, again, what are you talking about? Well, listen, without Jesus, I can walk in carnality and have no desire for the things of God. Do you remember that? Do you remember before you got saved? Do you remember before you committed your life to Jesus? It was all about you, man. It was just like Esau. I don't care about stuff. I don't care. People would invite you to church. Come to church. I go to church. Man, I got better things to do on my Sunday. I got something, you know. Man, the cowboys are playing. We're going to make some barbecue. I don't care. And, and we, would, we would do that. We, we, we could live that way. Or, or maybe you weren't even like that. Maybe, maybe you grew up and you, and you were like Jacob, man. And outside, you looked really, really fresh and cool and nice. And you looked like a Christian. And you wore Christian T-shirts. And you knew all the right lingo. But inside, you were a deceiver and a manipulator. Guys, I'm here to tell you, 
we need Jesus. We need Jesus. For you see, the true gospel, listen, rids both hearts of walking in the flesh. Because the Bible says that when we understand and we grasp and we, and we, we know the message of the cross, that he takes that heart of stone and he makes it a heart of flesh. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But let me say this to you, church, tonight, okay? When it comes to the gospel, I need to share a few things with you. You go, what's that? Guys, I've got to say this every time. Jesus is coming back soon. I'm not talking a hundred years. I'm telling you, he's coming soon. Don't play church. Don't play church. Don't, don't, don't wear a mask. Get rid of that thing, man. If you struggle, you struggle. If you're messed up, you're messed up. But Jesus is coming back soon. And I say that because I love you. And I know a lot of people listen to this podcast, but Jesus is coming soon, and he could very well come tonight. And you need to know, am I ready? Am I ready? Pastor, I'm ready. I believe I've given my life to him. I'm working through these things, man. Amen. The gospel, Jesus, God's only son, can set you free if you'll let it. But there's a battle. Just like the womb, there's a battle. You go, what is it? Oh, it's not Jacob and Esau. You know what it is? It's your flesh versus your spirit. Your spirit wants to praise God. Your spirit wants to serve. Your spirit wants to tell others. Your spirit wants, and your flesh says, no, 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 no. It's all about me. Feed me. Momentarily, what? Gratification. Momentarily. That's not us, guys. That's not us. The Bible says we need to what? Man, we need to esteem others higher than ourselves. We need to crucify this flesh daily. We need to walk and look for others, and we need to serve, and we need to be a light in a dark world, and we need to share Jesus. When you get to heaven, you don't need to share Jesus anymore because everyone up there will be saved. But while you're here, it's the gospel. There's going to be, there, listen, there's always going to be that battle, guys. There's always going to be that battle. That battle between the flesh and the spirit. Pastor, what do I need to do? Just remember this. The one that you feed is the one that's going to dominate your life. If you sow to the flesh, that's going to, just like Esau. Now, here's the beauty. Eventually, God's going to change Jacob's name to Israel. He's going to have a changed heart. He's going to wrestle with God. God's going to show up. And that's what he does for us. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your great love. We thank you, God, that 
you're in control of all things. We thank you for Bible study, but we thank you for the lessons we need to learn. May we put them in practice, God. May we share, may we learn, may we love. Jesus, may we take off the mask and be who we are so you can heal us and you can walk with us and you can be our God and we'll be your kids. Forgive us from our sins, O Lord. Grant us peace as we walk in this world. We love you, Jesus. In the beautiful name of Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.